asked Milos, our portfolio manager, what my topic should be for this month's podcast. He said, be cheerful. His direction probably has something to do with the fact that I'm always talking about market risk, not so much about market return. Of course, I generally attempt to speak about both at the same time, though the bits about risk tend to retain the focus. So I agreed to the topic, imagining it'd be nice for some, particularly at this time of year, if I spent a few moments talking only about return. So here goes my holiday dose of cheer. The S&P 500 index, which tracks large-cap U.S. stocks, turned in an annualized return of 17.9% over the last five years. That's well above the 11.7% annualized gain over the entire 72-year time frame since 1949. This despite the fact that 2018 saw the S&P 500 index drop 4.4%, and 2020 saw what we hope will prove a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic with which we continue to live to this day. There are many ways we could speak to those returns in an attempt to somehow discredit their worthiness. And as I began to write this note, you all know I do read scripts when I do most of these podcasts, yes? Well, when I was writing the script for this note, I started making a list of all the asterisks I could add to the rather stellar, all things considered, returns since 2016. But then I remembered the directive to be cheerful and I figured I'd offer the reverse of a critique. And that reversal amounts to this. The returns are what they are. They just are. Be happy with them. Embrace them. The cheer, at least in my view, comes when we accept the market's future path is unknowable and begin to act accordingly. If there's one grand rule I've learned in the many years I've been managing other folks' money, it's that the stock market is random. Not truly in every way, but in broad strokes, it's random. So one shouldn't expect much or little, up or down, certainly not a specific number, just something for being a market participant. As I hinted, though, there are aspects that can be seen as less random. That is, market history has shown some tendencies that allow us to at least feel we aren't blindly or blithely taking on the exposure. Take the fact that the longer the time horizon, the more likely returns for stocks have been positive. The past five years are a great example. As I mentioned earlier, though it gained nearly 18% per year since 2016, the S&P 500 dropped nearly 20% at one point in the fall of 2018, and almost 34% by mid-March in 2020. Both drawdowns may have been disconcerting, especially the COVID-related plunge in 2020. But in the end, patience was rewarded. Now, not all five-year periods have seen positive returns. In fact, the S&P 500 has seen losses over nearly 12% of 60-month periods and 5% of 10-year periods. However, most but not all 15-year periods have seen gains. See how that ratio is falling? The longer the time horizon, the more likely to have experienced a gain. Looking at 20-year periods, not a one has witnessed a decline in that large-cap index. Even more, history has shown that there have been ways to have systematically realized returns even better than those that the large-cap stocks in the S&P 500 have seen. Here too, though, that evidence shouldn't be considered justification for thinking outperformance is in any way guaranteed. Just as the performance of the market is random, so are the relative performances of all the various buckets into which we can slice and dice the stocks that comprise the market. But there are biases in market history, and we can establish rational methods seeking to benefit from those apparent biases within a portfolio. So what do you think the market will do next year, Mark? It's a question I hear regularly this time of year. As you might guess from this note so far, I generally give nearly entirely underwhelming answers. Was chatting recently with a fellow rower at the boathouse who confidently stated, you know, there's no rule that the market should be valued at a particular level, to which I responded, yep. I think he might have expected a different answer. 
I more often than not hear that sort of phrasing to justify a continued march higher, equity fundamentals be damned. And I suppose I'm supposed to argue that the market is overvalued. But of such unidirectional conclusions, we should be careful. After all, the market has been measurably overvalued for several decades. Oops if you remained uninvested in stocks as a result. Far better, in our view, to be realistic about what's possible than be unduly enthusiastic about what's not probable. Again, market movements are random, positively biased, with sufficient time, and full of varied and varying pockets of relative opportunity, but random. Speaking of acknowledging randomness, I'm reading the Foundation series of books by Isaac Asimov at the present. Fans of the tomes might hate this oversimplification, but the basis of the book is the idea that one could develop a set of formulas that predict the future of humanity. The context is that a galaxy-spanning empire is dwindling and that it eventually will die to be supplanted by chaos that could last 30,000 years. Those in the know, that is those who know the prediction of the original formulas, believe that they can change the path to limit the Dark Age to just a millennium. The idea is preposterous on its face, but some of the thinking may not be. And as much as many will hate that I do this, that thinking can be applied to our work as financial advisors. I'm not yet through the series, just about halfway, so I don't know if the Foundation, those are the folks who built what amounts to a universal human behavioral model, will be proved correct in the end. Still, we know even from the very short history of human civilizations here on Earth that most empires eventually collapse. So we have evidence of proper expectations— the binary 30,000 years or 1,000 years seems too simple, but we know from the earlier books that discuss the early work of the Foundation that those two points established a range of expected outcomes. That fits with proper thinking about markets, too. The problem is that the Foundation believes there's a way to guide the collective outcomes to the best possible result. And the problem I might have with that perspective is that it assumes the specific result is best for everyone. But it probably wouldn't be perhaps universally optimal, but otherwise super for some and not so super for others. The books make very clear, though, that the formulas in no way apply to the decisions of or outcomes for individuals. Rather, they describe the universal whole. And again, as preposterous as that might be, the thinking still fits with what we think is a proper way to approach financial planning and investment management. Of course, with investing, we can't force the single best possible outcome for everyone, and that's because each individual's best possible outcome is unique. But given a range of expected outcomes and knowledge about likely reactions to potential events along the way, we can seek to establish a path to an optimal outcome for each individual. That's not turning uncertainty into certainty. It's simply focusing on those factors we can control in order to develop and achieve financial goals. It's the opposite of the premise for the stories, but it's both fitting and hopeful for an increasingly complicated financial landscape. Wishing everyone a safe, healthy finale to 2021 and a grand launch into the new year. Importantly, Past performance is not indicative of future results. The foregoing commentary is not presented as an investment recommendation. The approach described may not be right for everyone. No one listening to this commentary should take our comments as advice specific to or appropriate for their individual situations. Individual circumstances should be taken into consideration when determining a suitable investment approach. All investing carries risk.